just uh, we just want to come to you, God, as a as a family that you have gathered together, and we just want to ask you to bless this service, God. I ask you to speak to hearts, Lord, and we most of all ask you to change hearts and give us the strength, Lord, to humble ourselves and say that we need you, Lord. Even if we are saved, God, we need you to continue to work on us and make us more like your Son. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be me up here, God. It would be that the words that come out of my mouth would be the ones that you want me to say. And I pray that I would say nothing more or nothing less than what you want me to say. And it's in your son's name I ask these things. Amen. So uh, Wednesday, Kenny sent us a little video. And he said, you know, where he was from. And he said uh, where, where he was at. And he said, I'm, I'm going to be coming back, and if I don't make it back, and if the plane crashes and I die, then Keith will preach, but more than likely that's not going to happen, so Keith won't have to preach. So I got some good news, and I got some bad news. <laughs> good news is, Kenny made it back, he's alive, Amen. and the plane did not crash. The bad news is, is I still got to preach, you know? <laughs> I'm not really sure how that works, but even more good news is it's still alive and I don't ever have to do this again. But I'm just kidding. I don't care. Um, anyways, we've been in this series called Encounter, and uh, just to refresh your memory on that, the first week was, was in uh, Luke chapter 5, and really what we can take away from that was Kenny kind of wrapped it up and said, don't be afraid because now you're going to be fishers of men. And he says, basically, if you have an encounter with God, then you give everything, and you're not afraid. Fear no longer has a grip on you, and you go and follow after God, and you're going to be fishers of men. And the second week was, uh, he was supposed to preach in Luke chapter 7, but instead God changed his heart immediately before the service, and he spoke on 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he says, if we're crazy, that's okay, because we're doing it for the glory of God. And we, we may look crazy, but that's all right. And we're now ambassadors of this message. Now, we don't just carry the words of this message, but we carry the lifestyle with us when we go there, just like an ambassador of a country does to another country. They bring the culture, and they say, this is how, this is how it is, and this, I want you to understand this is how it is. They're not just a translator of words. They translate their whole lifestyle. And so that's what we are in Christ. We translate everything about our lives to somebody else and say, this is what living like a Christian is like. This is not just the words. This is what the lifestyle looks like. And then last week you talked about in Luke chapter 7, which was, which was what he was supposed to speak on the second week. And it was a comparison between the Pharisee and the woman who came in and poured all of her expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and wouldn't stop kissing his feet. And he, she bowed down and she was weeping. And basically what he was saying was, that the Pharisee had a blind date experience with Jesus. He was just filling them out. He wasn't, he wasn't really going below the surface. He was just saying surface level, saying, who is this Jesus guy? And he kept it at that level. He had a blind date encounter. And the woman, she gave it all. She was like, I know who he is. And she bowed down and her heart was changed. And she had a true encounter with Jesus. And that was what last week was about. And... Uh, Last night is when Kenny kind of just told me, he said, be prepared to preach. I was supposed to be prepared a long time ago, but um, I was reading what, what he was going to preach on, and uh, that's what we're going to be in today, is in uh, Matthew chapter 8, and uh, 
We're just going to read it, and we're going to see what God has to say. It says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum, a Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed and in terrible pain. Well, first we just see that this man has something special about him. Because in Luke chapter 7, which is the parallel account, it's just the same thing that happened. They just chose different things to talk about. And Luke did versus Matthew. And we see that this centurion guy, he was a Roman officer who was basically in charge of 100 people. Century, centurion, that was where it came from. And he sent Jewish elders to Jesus to plead with Jesus about his servant or his slave. And this is just odd in, it, in itself because usually a Roman officer like this would not care so much about his slave. And he's second of all, he probably wouldn't have sent Jewish elders to this man. So we're just looking at it and he's... he's He's held in honor in these people's eyes. They look up to him, and they respect this man. In their, in their community, this man is in, in, held in high respect. So he sends these Jewish elders to Jesus because, because the servant was paralyzed and in pain, and he was possibly dying. And so when he gets there, when the Jewish people get there, he says, Jesus says, I will come and heal him. And so these Jewish elders, I'm not crying, I'm just thinking. I'm not nervous either, I promise. All right. So, these Jewish elders, they they respected this man mainly because he cared about this servant and in the community he was held in high respect because somehow he was personally responsible for building the synagogue. And it's, I, don't, I don't really know the whole background of it, but there's something special about this dude. And there's, there's something special about his heart, like what he cares about. And it's really odd, like to me, I'm just thinking the Romans are the ones who were in, in control of Israel. And the Jews and the, and the Pharisees, they were thinking that Jesus the Messiah was supposed to be the one to deliver them from the Romans. And here you see this kind of bond and it's just kind of odd, like, what you see in this situation. And you would think that these, these Romans would be kind of hard, and they would be more brutal than anything. And this dude's soft. He's, he's got a soft heart, but, he, but he's strong because he, he's not scared. He, he's, he's a person in authority. He's, got, he's in control of 100 men who are soldiers. This, dude is, this dude's no chump, but he's got a soft heart. There's something special about this dude. And the Jewish elders... They even went to Jesus on his behalf. And I'm just thinking, like I said, I don't know the whole background on it, but I'm just thinking these, these Jewish elders, they, they probably look at Jesus the same way as the Pharisees did, and they're kind of looking at him 
like, like he, the way he speaks is in authority, and they're kind of offended by that. But because of this man, they said, they, they just kind of laid down their pride and said, I'm, I'm going to go talk to Jesus on your behalf. And they was like, Jesus, you need, you need to heal this dude. You need to help him because he, he's a really good man, and, and he's personally responsible for building our synagogue. And, and he says, I will come and heal him. And then the Roman officer said, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from where you are, and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers. I only, I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. When Jesus was on his way to this dude's house, this dude sent his friends out and told him to stop where he was. Like, I'm not worthy of you coming into my home. So what I need you to do is just say it. And what did he say? He says something crazy. He just says, you just say the word and my servant will be healed. I know it just right from where you are. And then he says, I know this. Because I am in authority over my soldiers. And when I say go, they go. When I say come, they come. When I say do this, they do it. What is he saying? What is he saying right there? He says, Jesus, I know you have ultimate authority. It's so crazy to me that he was just like, he just knows that Jesus even has authority over sickness. That's so hard for me to see. I mean, just naturally speaking, we have doctors. We may have doctors in here. I don't know. And God uses those doctors. And God, and God has given them the intelligence and the, and the skills to work around problems and to problem solve, all those kind of different things. But... It's hard for us to understand that Jesus even has that kind of authority. And this man just says, you say the word, you ain't even got to be around him. And he recognized Jesus' authority, and he himself submitted to it. A Roman officer versus a lowly Jesus whose feet's dirty, he doesn't have a home, he doesn't have a place to lay his head he touches people with leprosy. He does all these things, and this Roman officer respects him, and he submits to his authority. Isn't that like what we should do? Shouldn't we respect Jesus so much so that we say, you have ultimate authority over my life? And when you say go, I'm going to go. And when you say come, I'm going to come. And when you say do this, I'm going to do that. Even down to the little details of our life, we say, Jesus, you have control. Jesus, I want you to have control over my life. I want to submit to your authority, not my own. That's how we should be. And where do we get what he wants us to do? Where do we get that? We get it from his word. We submit to that authority. That's what we humble our hearts to be in. We humble our hearts so that we follow that word to a T.
and we say, Lord, I don't want to do anything outside of your word. God, if you don't want me to buy direct TV, I'm not going to get direct TV. But Lord, if that's what you allow, then that's what I'm going to get. Even down to those small details. God, if you don't want me to have this car, I'm not going to get this car. God, if you want me to go overseas, I'm going to go overseas because I'm not worried about money. But God, I have a house payment. You have a house payment? That in itself should tell you you're going to let that hold you back from doing what God wants you to do? You're going to let some material possession that you're hanging on to hold you back from doing what God's Word said to do? If you do, that's fine. People do it all the time. I've done it before. The thing is, where's your authority at? Is it in here? You, yourself, and I? Or is it Jesus and His Word? I think it shows a little bit about our hearts, what we're willing to do. And listen to what Jesus said. It says, When Jesus heard this, He was amazed. Turning to those who were following Him, He said, I tell you the truth. I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. I want you to understand something about this. Faith is not a quantity. I remember when Kenny was my college and career pastor, and every Thursday there was about 10 people sitting in there, max. But Kenny never slowed down. He never checked up. It was like, it was like there was 1,000 people in the room every night and it seemed like every message stuck to my mind so clearly and one in particular was when we were talking about this man who was in a wheelchair his name was Michael and we were in Hebrews chapter 11 where it talks about faith and how the faith is in the unseen we have faith our faith is there where we can't see. Our faith is not in here, in this room, that we can see. It's not on this earth. Our faith is in Jesus, who we can't see. That's where our faith is at. Well, this man who was in a wheelchair, he was at a, he was at a church, and, and they told him, you can be healed. And, and when you're healed, you, you can walk again, and that can happen here on this earth. I'm not saying it can't, but this is what they were saying. He was like, well, I prayed, and, and it just hasn't happened. So, well, that's because you don't have enough faith. And then he would pray, and he would pray. And I know this man personally, and his faith was there. I saw it in his heart. I saw it in his life. And it was like, well, you just don't have enough faith. Keep, keep going. Keep having more faith, and just keep adding to your faith. You know, just If you have more faith, then you'll be able to walk. Well, faith is not quantified. I don't have more faith than the person who has faith in Jesus right next to me. That's not what he's saying when he says that I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. This man, Michael, just to finish the story, he's now with our Heavenly Father. And yes, he is out of his wheelchair. 
And yes, he did bring God glory while he was on this earth in a wheelchair. And his faith made him well. But when Jesus said, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel, he was saying this because this man humbled himself. This man completely submitted to Jesus' authority. He said, I recognize who you are and I recognize who I am. He said, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel because they did not accept him for who he was. They did not accept Jesus as the son of the living God. They didn't accept Jesus for who he was coming to be, the Messiah, to deliver them from their sins. That's not who they accepted him to be. They didn't recognize him as God himself in the flesh coming to save his people. They didn't recognize that. But this man did. And he humbled himself. And he says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my home. If anybody had room for pride, it would be this man. He's part of the strongest army in the world. He's part of the richest group of people in the world. They basically have control of the entire world. And he submits to him, what about your heart? We, I'm not saying, I'm not going to go on a little tangent about how this is what's wrong with the world. Because what's wrong with the world is not a, a specific issue. It, it's, it's sin. And we all fold to sin. And there's problems in the world because of sin. And there's one Savior for that, and that's Jesus Christ. And not everybody will accept that. So we might as well just get over trying to fix the world. Because Jesus himself is going to save the individuals in this world. And the people who don't choose Jesus are not going to choose Jesus. That's just the bottom line. Even if we share the gospel, then they have a choice. But what I'm saying is, we, a lot of times, as Americans, and I, I see this because I've only ever lived here. I've only ever seen Americans. I've only ever been around Americans. But we have such an entitlement attitude toward everything. And we have, not everybody, but we have this mindset that people are supposed to serve us. And we have this mindset, we, we throw around the word need a lot. And we say, well, I, I need this. I need a new truck because my truck Fill in the blank. I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. We constantly say to ourselves, we deserve more. And it may not just be Americans. It may be everybody. I don't know. But I'm just saying the people that I'm around, that what I've seen in my own life, what I've seen in my own heart, I'm saying that we think we deserve so much more than we actually do. And you know what makes it, what makes that makes humility, that makes being humble hard. 
because we don't look past ourselves. This man was serving his servant. That's what a true leader does. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said that the first will be last and the last will be first because the first serves everybody. The leader doesn't sit in his office and act like he's perfect. The leader gets down on his hands and knees and says, I'm going to lead by example. The leader says, this is what we're going to do. And he gets his hands dirty and says, I'm going to lead us into it, and we're going to do it. He doesn't say, this is how you worship. Step back and not worship everybody else worship. He doesn't say you repent of your sins and not repent of his own. That's not what a true leader does. A true leader gets down and says, I'm not above this. And that's what this man did. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. Look at our example. His name is Jesus. And in Philippians chapter 2, it says that he humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross. I've been so torn up here lately about humility, about pride. Because it seems like there's so many times where people don't want to submit to God's word, but hang on to the hang on to the to the tag of Christianity, like I am a Christian. But they don't want to humble themselves and say, My life is not my own. And can I tell you something just real quick? Salvation does not come apart from being humble. You know why? Because in James chapter 4, verse 6, it says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How are we saved? By grace through faith. It is only by grace that we are saved, but that grace is only given to those who are humble. He's not saying, I'm opposing the proud, just like he would say, I'm opposing the murderer. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying anybody's excluded. He's saying the proud person is excluding themselves. They're not accepting the grace that's offered to them. Instead, they're relying on themselves. Instead, they are their own saving grace. Instead, they rely on themselves to be better and to work themselves into heaven. Either that or say, I'm not going to believe in God at all. They're relying on themselves. They're proud. It's me. It's myself. It's all about me. Well, I'm telling you this. Love for yourself will not get you anywhere. Love for yourself is a straight-up lie. What does loving yourself do? It does nothing. It builds yourself up. And then at the end of this life, you look and, you, and you, you're in front of God and, and you look back at your life and you have one million regrets about your life because everything was about yourself. 
And you know what yourself can do? It can't do anything. It can't save anybody. When people worship you, it's not good. Love for yourself won't spread God's love to other people. I know the Bible says that we should love others like we love ourselves. It's not saying that you should love yourself more so that you can love other people more. That's not what it's saying. Like, that's, that's backwards. It's like, well, I'm going to build myself up in love, and I'm going to build myself up in this life, and then I'm going to love other people later. Well, truly, that's when your love will truly spread is when you love yourself. How much sense does that make? Because it's not love for yourself that spreads God's love. It's God's love that spreads God's love. God's love for other people. Salvation does not come outside of humility. And that's hard to take in. But what is that? It's recognizing that you need a Savior. It's recognizing that you are dirty. That you are a sinner. That you do need help. That you cannot get to heaven without His grace. It's recognizing that you are not what this world revolves around. And that's very hard. I know it's hard. Because it welcomes change. When you humble yourself to Jesus, you're welcoming in His authority. You're welcoming in to change throughout your whole entire life. From the inside, in your heart, and the outside of your actions. You're welcoming in that change. And that's very, very hard. But it's worth it. Because you know what you're carrying around when you're carrying around pride? You're carrying around a million pounds of weight on your shoulder. You're carrying around pressure. You're carrying around this, this thought that you have to be lifted up, this thought that you deserve more. And look at this man. He humbles himself. And he's going to Jesus on his servant's behalf. And let's see what happens. It says, And I tell you this, that many Gentiles will come from all over the world, from east and west, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. But many Israelites, for those whom the kingdom was prepared, will be thrown into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the Roman officer, Go back home, because you believed it has happened. And the young servant was healed that same hour. First, I want to point out that this man was healed. And think about it. Just put yourself in this situation. I can't really explain this other than you putting yourself in this situation, other than you paying attention to what God's Word is trying to say and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Put yourself in that situation and think about what you would have felt better doing. Letting the dude die and suffer because you're a Roman centurion officer and you don't have to stoop yourself that low. Or would you feel better doing that or would you feel better going to Jesus on the servant's behalf and he'd be healed? Which, which one would leave you feeling like a better leader? Which one would leave you feeling like a better follower of Christ? Or like a follower of Christ at all? Which one do you think would be that one? 
Second of all, the reason I feel like God put this passage on Kenny's heart and then on mine instead of Luke chapter 7, which is the one that is more preached on because it talks about the dude saying, I'm unworthy, and he's and it's like going through all the all the you know the friends and stuff to speak to Jesus, and it's really into detail. But it leaves out, not leaves out, it just doesn't mention this part about the Israelites. It says that many people from all over the world will come and dine with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the, at the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And then many Israelites for whom the kingdom was prepared will be thrown into the outer darkness where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's really weird to talk about this, but I was wondering the other day, how do I actually know that hell is a real thing? And these Israelites, the Jews, not all of them, it says many, so not all, but many, thought that this kingdom, this feast that was in the kingdom of heaven, this celebratory feast made to celebrate salvation and God's blessing, when we get to heaven, we're celebrating that because he did it for us when he didn't have to. We are celebrating that, and he's prepared a feast for us. And so we're going to celebrate his salvation and his blessings. But Jewish people during this time thought that that was a Jews-only thing. And Jesus is saying here that people from all over the world, from the four corners, in Psalm 107.3, that's what he's talking about. He said, there would be people all over the world that come to know me. There would be people from all over the world that get to eat at this feast in heaven. And you know why I think he points this out? Because the Jewish people were prideful. They didn't want to believe that salvation was for anyone else. And their pride blinded them from seeing what God's Word actually said. Because there's many times in the Old Testament, okay, yes, I understand where they probably could have gotten this, but the fact that they were God's chosen people and they were set apart. But that was to show us in, in the New Testament, how we look at Jesus, that was to show us that we were to be set apart from this world. Not exclusive, but we were supposed to be set apart. And we weren't allowed, we weren't supposed to let the world in and, and defile us and, and to continue to help us to, to follow the world instead of follow Jesus. That's what it was supposed to be about. We're supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be holy like our Heavenly Father. And that's what's supposed to show the world that we are different and that we love with a different kind of love and we serve with a different kind of service. That's what it's supposed to be about. Not that it's exclusive just to us and to nobody else. And in so many places in the Old Testament, just two, just right off the bat, come to mind. Psalm 107.3 says it will come from four corners of the earth and they will be there in heaven. And then just speaking to Abraham, who it mentions in this passage, Abraham was the father of many nations, not just one. I mean, just such an obvious thing. And, And they wanted to think it was all about themselves. And they were too prideful to submit to God's authority. They thought it was themselves, and it was, that was it. They could work themselves to heaven. They could follow these laws, and it was exclusive to just them. And he says that these people who submit to me, these people who are humble, 
those are the ones who are going to be at this feast. And the ones that don't, the ones that are prideful, the ones that it's all about themselves and they don't, they don't accept my grace, then they will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the fact is, remember how I said we think we deserve so much more. We were very, very prideful to think that we don't deserve hell. I got asked the other day, how could a loving God send us to hell? I was like, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. How could God still love us after what we did to him? How could God still love us after saying, no, I don't need you? We said that to God when we choose ourselves and choose to sin and follow after our own passions, we choose that for ourselves. And we say, God, I don't need you. How could God, in his perfection, still love us? That's the question we should ask. And that's where the humility comes in and says, God, I deserve this punishment. I deserve that. You see, it's really easy to believe that hell is not real. That's why people talk about it. That's why people say, you know, God, he loves us. He wouldn't do that. There's no way a loving God would send you to hell. Well, that's not true because Jesus himself said it. And that's not my idea. I didn't come up with this. I'm just reading, you know, like it's in here. And we all follow the same book. It's just there. That's all I got to say. It's there. That's, that's God's punishment. And we deserve that. And we say, God, I deserve that. And I see what you did on the cross. You humbled yourself. And you died for me. So that I didn't have to experience that punishment. Instead, I can just go out and tell other people that they don't have to experience that punishment either. And that you took that punishment for us. When we were at fault. And you continue to love us. Even when we choose ourselves, after we have already chosen you, you continue to bring us back. You continue to show us love. You continue to save us. You continue to just sanctify us and chip off the sin where it's at. And you continue to help us recognize where we sin. And you never stop. You don't put everything on us at once. You chip away a little at a time. And you help us become better people. People that are broken vessels who can share this message with the world. So I wanted to say that, to say that hell is real. It's scary, but it's real. And Jesus himself took that punishment so that we didn't have to. So this morning, ask yourself where there's pride in your life. When's the last time Jesus was in awe of you? The fact that you submitted to him and followed after him and obeyed him and didn't think about yourself. Humble yourself before God and recognize who you are and recognize who he is. And I promise you will see grace. It's okay to be vulnerable in front of God. 
It's okay to recognize and, and open up to who you are in front of God. He already knows it's there. To be humble and open up, and you'll experience grace. You'll experience love. And that pressure that you feel right here won't be there anymore. But it's all out in the open, and it's okay. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I just want to thank you, Lord, for making myself known to me. God, you, you told me who I was. And Lord, you gave me strength to open up. God, you gave me strength to be humble. And God, you revealed yourself to me. And you said that you would die for me and save me from my sin and that I wouldn't have to experience that punishment and that I could live with you forever. God, that's such good news. And God, I pray for the person that is prideful this morning. God, they may not even know they're prideful. They, they, they may not know. Lord, I pray that you would help them be aware of that. God, I pray that, that you would just humble them and, and that they would be able to see your grace, they'd be able to see your love and accept it, God. Not just the name Christian. God, they would accept the lifestyle. They would accept who you are, God. And, and true encounters with Jesus, God, we're, we're now marked with humility and we're willing to serve. God, we're willing to obey you. That's what a true encounter with you is like. Lord, I pray that you would just be with people this morning and help us to change according to your word and be submissive to it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.